Welcome to a brand new episode of I Love Wellness. I am super excited for today's guest because I personally have a ton of questions for her about my personal health and wellness that I think she's going to be able to help me with. So everybody, please welcome Vanessa Phillips, the co-founder of Feel Good Foods to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about your business, Feel Good Foods, and what inspired you to create it. So if you could just please tell our audience what your company does, and then I have a million questions for you. Okay, great. So Feel Good Foods is a frozen food brand. It's sold in grocery stores nationwide. It's all chef-inspired and gluten-free, and we're focused on snacks. So we've got uh, potstickers, egg rolls, uh, taquitos, empanadas, and our newest addition is cauliflower crust pizza bites. <gasps> so like very old school, like 80s Totino's pizza rolls that you ate like while playing video games that you just know today are super indulgent and packed with 100 ingredients. We've like done like a modern day twist on that. And that just launched in Target two weeks ago. Will you send me some? Yeah, totally. <gasps> Thanks. Oh my yeah. gosh, I'm so excited. Um, very cool. So also, you have celiac disease. I do. So is everything in the line gluten-free? T- talk to me about that. Yeah, so everything is gluten-free, obviously, so that I can eat it too. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first launched in 2011, it was all about catering to gluten-free people who were feeling really deprived. And in 2011, the offering for gluten-free was super limited. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah, it was terrible. It still sucks in many places, by the way. True. It's gotten a lot better. Like, I used to have to order all of my food online, and I was in college, and I'd be walking around with, like, big boxes of food, and it was, like, horrifying and embarrassing and depressing. (laughs) And today, I think it's, like, definitely better. But, yeah, I mean, it's still challenging, you know, like, having to think through all the different ingredients of, like, what makes a dish complete. So it's not – I mean, it's definitely, like, a challenge to live with, but it's come a long way. And when we first launched Feel Good Foods, it was all about like giving celiacs or people with gluten intolerance the foods that they missed. Today, though, I think that gluten-free is, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge, like, prominent part of what we do. But I think that today it's sort of evolved past that. And it's more about just taking foods that are traditionally indulgent but packed with so many ingredients and really unhealthy that you would have a lot of guilt around eating mm-hmm. and just simplifying it. So it's not that we're necessarily healthy. Like, we still have fried egg rolls, and it's fried and it's indulgent. But it's made with, like, 15 ingredients, everything you can find in a grocery store, like, all non-GMO, antibiotic-free meats, and just, like, super clean to the point where I feel good giving it to my six-year-old. And if I'm going to give it to my six-year-old, then you can feel good eating it, too. And that's kind of, like, the premise of what Feel Good Foods has sort of evolved into, Mm -hmm. but always gluten-free as well. So will I know every ingredient that's listed? Yeah, I, I think you. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know your food knowledge, but I think I know yeah. a lot. Yeah, I think you'll know everything that's in it. Yeah. Can yeah. I pronounce all the words on the ingredients label? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, it's super clean. I mean, we don't like we don't use any like fillers or preservatives, oh, cool. or it's just like what you see is what you eat. What you see is what you get. Yeah. Cool, and that's really exciting. I feel like though we're sort of on the brink of way more people understanding that traditionally the foods that they have brought home, um, you know, that are packaged frozen. And et cetera, are 
pretty much full of crap. People mm-hmm. are finally starting to become more aware of that. And I feel like there's definitely this shift towards clean eating. And I'm so excited to see a brand like yours making indulgent, fun food that is with a limited number of ingredients because that's how we sh- really should be eating. Um, and I read a study recently that they say that processed food is actually just as bad for you, you know, like as sugar and all of these other things. Um, so I guess I'm curious sort of like where your education in all of this came from. Like, was it because you have an autoimmune and so you were sort of self-taught in this space or like how did you sort of come to be where you're at today in terms of your knowledge of like the industry and how you want to live your life and how you want to share that with your with your consumers um so I grew up in the restaurant industry growing oh, up you did. yeah Very cool. so growing up my my father owned a ton of restaurants in New York City mm. and I I grew up around food Um, and I kind of thought that that's just what I would do. Like when I was a kid, I was like, okay, well, when I grow up, I'm going to be a restaurateur because Mm -hmm. that's what I know. And that's, what's really comfortable for me. And my parents always tell stories of like me being two years old and my brother wanted like peanut butter and jelly and I wanted soft shell crabs. Like I was a very (laughs) like adventurous eater and just like loved food and always felt really comfortable in the kitchen. And and my parents didn't cook, so if we had, like, big Thanksgiving dinners, like, it was like, okay, Vanessa, you're going to make dinner for 25 people. And I was like, I'm on it. Like, it was just mm-hmm. always, like, what my go-to was, was to cook and eat. Um, and when I went into, I, I guess, like, I want to say, like, around 12 years old, I started developing really strange neurological symptoms that were very hard to pinpoint and kind of unusual for a kid to complain to their parents about. I had a lot of like neuropathy. like tingling. What does that mean? So I had like tingling in my hands and feet. I would wake up in the middle of the night and my entire leg would be numb and I would have to like crawl into the bathroom and turn on the bathtub so that the intense pressure of the water would like wake up my my leg. Like I could not stand. I would literally Whoa. be on, yeah, crawling to the bathroom. And it, I was really tired. I had terrible brain fog all the time. Like my parents were just like, she's just ditzy. Like you... I mean, I remember going on vacation with my parents, and my one job for the day was, like, to hold everybody's passport. And within an hour, I was like, I think I left them on a bus somewhere, but I'm not sure. Like, I just Mm. was totally on cloud nine all the time. And I never really was able to connect my symptoms or behavior with what I was eating because gluten is in everything. So I used to say to my mom, like, if I am allergic to something, it's got to be something like salt. Because it seems like no matter what I eat, I'm, like, exhausted afterwards and I'm having just, like, widespread symptoms and pain. But I never had stomach aches. So Mm. my parents never thought to, like, send me to a gastroenterologist. They would, you know, I would get, like, MRIs or I had horrible, like, joint pain and and they thought, okay, well, she must have arthritis or MS. I mean, it really, like, they ran the gamut of everything other than something, like, focused on my digestive system. Hmm. And when I went to college is really when, like, things got really ugly because I went to um, I went to Hobart. It's upstate New York where there's, like, nothing but, like, Wendy's and McDonald's. And growing up in New York City, I never really ate that kind of food. So yeah. once I got to college, I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. Like, I'm going to see what this like Whopper is all about like I've never had a Whopper (laughs) and I then I then the stomach stuff like really kicked in and I got really really sick so I when I was 20 years old I 
finally saw a gastroenterologist and he diagnosed me with celiac and I was the second person he had ever diagnosed. And he was like, yeah, this is going to suck. Like your life is not going to be fun because he knew that I loved food so much and that I loved cooking. And he was like, you're just going to have to start ordering all of your food naked. And that was literally the line. And just eat really bland, like steamed vegetables and like salmon and chicken with nothing on it. And I was, like, pretty devastated. I, I, I was like, well, that's not something that I'm going to be able to do. So I'm going to have to figure it out. And it, it took me a couple years of just, like, really doing a ton of research and taking different cooking classes and figuring out, like, how to kind of cook around it. But I realized pretty quickly that it actually wasn't as limiting as people think. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I met my uh, co-founder, Trig, my partner. He was a chef at a restaurant, and we were working at the restaurant together, and we started, we kind of, like, became friends by cooking together, and we started developing all of these recipes, and I felt really lucky that I had figured out how to feed myself and still enjoy food again, so it was, like, a natural progression to want to cook and give these foods to everybody else, Mm -hmm. and that was how I kind of stumbled into this industry. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, I'd sort of like to go back to sort of your childhood before you had sort of like the classic celiac, like digestive issues, um, because I know a lot of people, including myself, that sort of have these like non-traditional celiac like intolerances, like the really bad brain fog, bloating, like all of these things that happen. And um, I mean, I guess when you were growing up, was autoimmune even a thing back then? Like, I feel like it's not the same landscape back then that it is now. So, like, when you were going to the doctor, like, did people even take you seriously? Did Never. your parents take you seriously? No. Like, that's what I want to talk about is, like, no, they didn't. women already, like, are not listened to by doctors and by their family members and by their partners. You know, like, we're in pain and we complain about all of these symptoms and all of these things. But, like, how were you, like, an advocate as a kid even for yourself Like, how did you even sort of begin to go through that process of, like, mom and dad, there's really something wrong, or, like, I feel weird, you know what I mean? And, like, you were saying, like, maybe I'm allergic to salt. Like, how did you even conceptualize that maybe you had some kind of allergy and that was what was affecting you? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question, and I... It's it's just, I think, goes back to how in tune we are with our bodies on such a subconscious level because, in truth, I didn't really know that I was allergic to something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't always feel a direct, you know, I would eat and get sick. Sometimes I would feel sick hours after I ate. Mm-hmm. So there is this, like, intuitive nature that we all have that we can tap into where we can really heal ourselves and know. And when I actually went to the doctor initially – and and to the gastroenterologist, and he did a bunch of tests, it actually came back initially inconclusive. Mm. So it was really kind of depressing because my parents had finally sent me to a gastroenterologist, and he was like, there's nothing wrong with you. Oh, my gosh. And I and my parents were like, oh, well, that explains that. You know, she's definitely a hypochondriac. And I decided for whatever reason, and I I won't really ever know what made me do this, to put myself completely on a wheat-free, I didn't know what gluten was, on a wheat-free diet. Mm. And I started feeling better. And then about two weeks later, 
the doctor called me and said, you know what, I ran some further biopsies because I did think it was strange that it came up inconclusive and you actually have celiac disease and need to live a gluten-free lifestyle. And I had already been gluten-free for those past two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I told him that and he was like, that's fascinating. Like Mm. you knew what you needed to do without getting that diagnosis. Intuitively. Yeah, totally. So I, you know, I always... I think knew that there was something I was eating, even though I wasn't always getting sick from the foods I was eating, but it was not like a clear path journey to me getting there at all. My parents definitely um, struggled with believing me at times, and I started (laughs) um, like changing the narrative a little bit, like to get their attention. Like Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a teenager, I told my mom that I had an eating disorder and that I needed to get help, even though I definitely did not have an eating disorder, but I was just like really craving some attention to like get me in front of a doctor. Mm. And I was like, well, that's something that she'll probably think is believable. Like it's, it's gotta be a body image thing. Like I was always trying to find some way to get my parents to sort of like stop and be like, okay, this is serious. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, there were definitely times where they didn't believe me. And I, you know, I think today it's a little different. I think there's so much awareness around food and so many, you know, symptoms that we have these like phantom symptoms that we have in our body is related to what we're putting in our body. And I think that there's just a lot more knowledge, but in the eighties and nineties, that just wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was, yeah, it was lonely for sure. Bagel bites, you know? Yeah. I loved bagel bites. I ate them and they were, yeah, they were really good. And and my dad (laughs) actually, um, he owned or owns a like chain of bagel stores (gasps) And I grew up, like, eating bagels. Eating bagels. Yeah, like, that was, like, what we did. Like, every Saturday and Sunday, everybody wanted to sleep at my house because it always smelled like toasted bagels. Mm. And his, like, nickname was the Bagel King. And (laughs) I loved bagels. So, I mean, the irony was, like, very rich that my dad was this Bagel King. And I would eat bagels and, like, spend weeks dying. So That's so interesting. Yeah. So when you finally got the diagnosis... Talk me through that, because I know, I mean, the news of, hey, like, you can't eat anything good ever again is pretty devastating, Mm -hmm. but did you also feel relief? Um, Initially, no. I definitely think the relief came a little later. I, initially, it was a loss, Mm. and I was definitely grieving, and I was also um, scared because the diagnosis then, again, it's changed so much today. You find out you, you're, you know, have celiac or you're gluten intolerant. You could literally not skip a beat, you know? Totally. Um, back then I had to continue to go through so many tests. I had to get like a bone density test and then they were like, okay, she has osteopenia. And then I had to get MRIs cause I was having, they were trying to figure out like what other things could be going on because what happens when celiac is left untreated, it could really cause like widespread damage to your body Mm -hmm. and I had been living this way for so long for 20 years yeah they were like really trying to kind of like peel away the layers and be like okay well let's see what else is there um I don't think in hindsight looking back I don't think I fully recovered physically for about two years really yeah it was like a slow progression to healing I I I my villi, which is like these like hair-like intestines that absorb food, they were completely depleted. So for the first year, I couldn't eat any dairy. I couldn't eat any corn. I couldn't eat any soy. Um, Jesus, what the fuck did you eat? 
Yeah, I didn't eat Seriously, good stuff. I what mean, did you eat? <laughs> I've had like people that I went to college with that like follow follow me today, like reach out and be like, oh my God, I have all these memories of us, like with you eating rice cakes and cream cheese. And I'm like, shut up. I never ate rice cakes and cream cheese. And they're like, oh, but you did. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's, that's sad. Um, yeah, I didn't eat a lot in the beginning. Yeah. And then I, um, like I said, I became really educated and I started like slowly like reintroducing foods. And today it's funny. I would say that I probably eat more than like the person with no food allergies that I just like randomly meet. Like I, I don't think that gluten, I think there's a stigma. I don't think it's as restrictive today as people think. Um, but also I'm just really good in the kitchen. So I figured it out, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Um, so it took you two years to feel better, but Mm -hmm. you said even within that first two weeks when you cut wheat out of your diet, you said that you did notice a change. And I hear from a lot of people, you know, if they have some kind of issue, they cut it out, they immediately start to feel better. But, um, I guess what sort of information can you share with people that sort of like suspect that something might be going on? And I think the reality is, is if you have an allergy to something and you've been exposed to it for years and years and years, your symptoms are not going to be these like awful flare-ups you know they're going to be less intense than if you just had a random exposure to something that you have an allergy to I don't think that people necessarily realize that Um, so I guess what are symptoms that people should look out for if they suspect that they are having some kind of issue with food whether it's gluten or dairy or whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, definitely keeping a food journal I mean it sounds really basic but there's no way that we're possibly going to remember everything that we eat and drink, you know, over a a large span of time. And if you write it all down in the times and then you start logging your symptoms in, you will find um, different, you know, like, oh, okay, so on Monday when I ate this, I felt sick. And then I also ate that same thing on, you know, Wednesday and then the following Monday. Oh, so, okay, there you go. Like you can find a way to sort of like trace back and find pattern if you really write it all down. So I always tell people to keep a food journal. Um, So I would start with that. Mm -hmm. I definitely would not listen (laughs) to a doctor um, because nobody is going to know your body better than yourself. I always say it's very similar to if you're in an unhealthy relationship, even, you know, if you, with a partner or whatever, like listen to your gut because that is really what's going to heal you. And mm-hmm. you always, on some level, if you really listen to your gut, you will figure it out. And if you think that it's you know gluten or, or dairy or some sort of environmental factor, you're probably right. So you think that we're ma- way more intuitive than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah, but I believe that, like, with everything. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What other things do you believe? No, I mean, I I just, yeah, I think that we're all on some level. I mean, this is, like, this should be, like, another podcast. But I do think on some level we're all kind of psychic about our own lives. And I think that we can tap into an intuitiveness that we all have that we don't really know is there. Interesting. Yeah, but that's for, like, another episode. Did you know that you were going to be a frozen foods queen? (laughs) Uh, Well, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I'd love to talk about your business um, a little bit more and the business of business. So how did you get started? You know, like CPG food is so hard. I mean, you really have to like get into every store and do the sampling and like build an audience and it requires so much time and energy, much more than, you know, just, oh, I'm going to create a company and I'm going to make a website and like put it out there for the world to sort of like figure out and consume. Like to be in a grocery store, like so much more goes into that than I think that people who are shopping in the grocery store realize. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to sort of give us like the high level of like, okay, I want to start a frozen food company. I'm like, 
how do you do that? Yeah. So I, I definitely wanted to start a frozen food company. I knew that and I knew nothing at all. Mm-hmm. I started, but um, you did have this great background in food. I did. So you had some baseline knowledge, at least about food. I did. Yes, I did. I So when I first started, I was actually making um, lasagnas in my studio apartment. I was like living in the West Village, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make lasagnas and just deliver them all over the city to people. I love that. And <laughs> I put up like one ad on a gluten-free website, and it was like – you know, this this girl in the West Village is delivering lasagnas. You should order them if you want. And I went to sleep, and the next day I woke up, and I had, like, 25 orders for lasagna. And I was, like, freaking out because I had not figured out logistically how I was actually – I mean, literally, my yeah, apartment was really a challenge. 500 square feet. <laughs> and I was, like, buying everything from, like, <laughs> from, like, the Dagostinos on my corner. I, like I know that Dagostinos. Yeah, is, it still there? Yeah. is it still there? And I would, like, run, and I would get all the ingredients. And I was, like, okay, I think, like, maybe, like, twelve ninety nine is a good price for my lasagna. And I really, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I, it's, yeah, I'm sure that there, I don't know, I remember one time someone said there was like a hairnet. I was like, oh God, I need to wear a hairnet. Like I just <laughs> didn't know. I didn't know anything. Um, and I did that for about six months. And then somebody had read a, like an article about me and they reached out and they were like, are you raising money? And I was like, for my lasagnas? And they said, yeah, do you have a business plan? And I was like, I don't, I don't know about how to do that. <laughs> and I decided to kind of like take a step back and regroup and take down my lasagna website and just sort of figure out where this could really go because it wasn't working out of my 500-square-foot apartment. Understandably. Yeah. And things really went on hiatus for about 18 months. I ended up opening Friedman's which is a restaurant. Today, there's like seven of them, but initially the first restaurant was inside the Chelsea Market. Yeah, I know it. Okay, cool. And everything was available gluten-free, and it was all inspired, obviously, about me being gluten-free, and I really wanted to create a menu where it was like intrinsically gluten-free, and there you weren't getting like a separate kids' menu. Sure, yeah. And um, it was also just foods that I loved. It was all about like comfort food with a lot of Southern influence and everything we would buy at the farmer's market. Fried chicken. Fried chicken, cheddar waffles. Yeah, yeah, it was really delicious. And it was very, very successful, but I felt really stifled. I was like, okay, I, this is 35 seats and I want to reach more people and I want to, I'm really interested in these building a brand, like, much mm-hmm. larger than... Beyond just, yeah, the, right. the restaurant space, yeah. So when we were running Friedman's, we had a recipe for dumplings, and I put them in a Ziploc bag, and I had a friend, like, do a mock-up of, like, what the dumpling packaging could look like, and I got the address of one of the, uh, at the time, the corporate office of Whole Foods, and I just mailed it to them. And I, I wrote a letter, and I was basically like, these are really good. You should try them. This is how you would heat them up. Let me know what you think. And they emailed me two weeks later, and they said, we're going to put it in 27 Whole Foods. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I, like, have no idea anything about. Oh, shit, I mailed about, them frozen dumplings. Yeah, like, I, I didn't have, to make them. <laughs> any experience at all. And I didn't know about, like, USDA regulations and, you know, everyone should feel comfortable knowing there are regulations. So, like, if you're buying food, it is going through some type of process. And I didn't know what that process entailed. And it was a huge learning curve. Luckily, though, Whole Foods gave me a pretty long lead time. So mm. I think it was, like, seven months I had to figure it out. And I ended up um, just 
going through the process of figuring out how to get into CPG. Mm-hmm. And it evolved from there. I mean, today, you know, we're in close to 7,000 grocery stores. I mean, it really, it took a while, but it, yeah, I mean, I, you know, some of it is, is luck and then some of it is drive and then having a really great product. And also I think just being really, really loyal, like to the point of insanity to what you're doing, like Mm. know that you're gonna get rejected and you're going to make mistakes, but just being like, no matter what happens, like you and I are in a monogamous relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. So how do you guys continue to be successful and continue to get market share? Because there's so many gluten-free brands now. I know that you were sort of like one of the original first and like you get, you have all these like great items, but like, how do you continue to, to win? You know what I mean? Cause there's yeah. so many options now. There are, I mean, there's a lot of gluten-free options there's not a lot of um, frozen, like snackable, shareable options. So mm, like we are, okay. we are still, you know, seven years later, we're still the only gluten-free um, pot sticker, and we're the only gluten-free egg roll, and we're the only gluten-free pizza bite. So I mean, the market share comes from that. Is mm-hmm. that we really don't have any direct competition oh, from a so gluten from a gluten free perspective. And, yeah. and and when I when I really look at my competition, I have to look outside gluten free because I'm rarely merchandised with gluten free food. I think that our products, or I know that our products are good enough, and they're so delicious, and they do have that restaurant reference point. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of unusual that a frozen food brand would be owned by restaurateurs. Sure. So we are mainline. Like we'll be integrated with products that are conventional like I mean, interesting like in so target you're, you're not like in a gluten-free section of the no store. no so never in fact i would like argue not to be if i was given that that choice do you think that you guys have fans of the brand that don't even realize that your food is gluten-free and they just like love it anyway and they buy it yeah, I, I yeah i mean i wonder like i don't have a lot of data right. on like yeah, who actually buys it but um we when we first started we called out gluten-free 11 times on the packaging it was like wow. it was like gluten-free 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 and now we um just have the gluten-free like seal like it's certified gluten-free mm-hmm. but we don't really spell it out anywhere um and i think that the gluten-free person like i like me like there's like a sniff test like it's crazy like celiacs will find gluten-free food like I don't know how but they're they just know well the internet has been helpful right the internet and there's like their eye it's like so strange it's like a bright red light they see that gf and they're just like yes and they grab it but getting you know the consumer that's like just the busy millennial someone who wants like healthy snacks to give to their kids or something for them to eat on the go or we get a lot of people who like take our products and make it a meal like they'll put the dumplings in like a soup that consumer is not really shopping the gluten-free aisle and they're also important and I think that today you know the the products are they stand their own like whether they're gluten-free or not Mm -hmm. so that's why we really like to be more integrated so that we can kind of merge the, the two groups of yeah. people who have to eat gluten-free and then people who are just looking for convenient foods. That's really interesting. It's sort of like the, I don't know, a, a different approach that, like if I don't know, if I started a gluten-free company, 
I would be like, yeah, it has to be in gluten-free section. So it's a really interesting approach that you're taking. Yeah. And it's probably part of why you're so successful because you're just thinking about it differently than the average person would. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I also, like, for me, I never wanted to feel different. Mm-hmm. I didn't want people to be like, oh, she's got food stuff. You know, yeah. I always wanted to just sort of eat what everyone else was eating. And it was always really embarrassing if I went to a restaurant and they were like, oh, let me bring you a gluten-free menu. I felt like a kid. Like, they were bringing me the kid's menu. Or, okay, we're going to make one meal for her and then everyone else is going to eat something else. So the idea of really bridging that gap and coming out with something that's delicious enough where my partner can kind of feel proud to his chef friends Mm -hmm. and then I could feel really good to my friends who don't have to eat gluten-free, that was really important. And being in a gluten-free door and only catering to people who have to eat gluten-free probably wouldn't have been very fulfilling for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So to anybody that has just sort of like had a diagnosis that like they have celiac or they should be avoiding gluten, what are your like top three tips of like how they should approach um, food in their life kind of like immediately? Uh, I would definitely say they should learn how to cook if Mm. they don't know how to. Um, Because I, when you know how to cook... It also really helps you when you're dining out. Yeah. Like, there are certain um, things that I just know to ask for because I've probably made that at home, mm-hmm. you know? And when you really don't have that knowledge around food, it's going to be really hard because you're going to be like, oh, is there any flour in the osobuca? Well, if you make osobuca, you're going to know there you probably know. is. Right. Or, you know, but th- and then sometimes you're asking questions and it's just confusing the restaurant even more because, you know, if, if you're at an Asian restaurant and you know that there's wheat and soy sauce... I mean, you should just know, well, wait, do you use tamari or do you use soy sauce? So, I mean, really becoming really knowledgeable about food is going to be your guide for life. So Mm -hmm. cooking and starting to read labels and becoming really familiar with what typically would have gluten and and what doesn't is definitely um, going to be really important. Um, I also would say it is really overwhelming, but... I would try to, because it is like a marathon, like it's a lifelong journey, to not be, try to not be really anxious about it. We used to have a lot of people that would come to Friedman's that were celiac, and they were, before they even ordered, they were so nervous to eat. And I think that going into it with that mentality is going to be really hard. And I think there is such a connection between your mind and body that if you're so nervous every time you eat, you're probably going to get sick more. Mm -hmm. So to just really kind of relax and do everything you can, but know that sometimes you might eat gluten. I mean, it might happen. And trying to just kind of breathe through that will will make this an easier process for you. Mm. What's your favorite type of alternative flour? I mean, it's tough. It really depends on what I'm what you're making. What I'm making, yeah. I mean, I have I you used, used. I think I'm saying it wrong. Cassava flour. Yeah, I like cassava. Right. Yeah. I've yeah. been like making stuff with that lately. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah. It's kind of like the closest to real white flour I have found. Like I had a cassava tortilla the other day, and I was like, this could have fooled me. Yeah, and we've made we've like played around with a lot of different like grain free yeah. um, tortillas, and we've used cassava for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that. Um, baking and you know different flours for breads I mean it's all you know really depends on what you're doing for frying like if I'm doing more of like a battered like crispy like kind of like that fried Mm -hmm. like tempura I'll use like rice flour Um, but I also don't like rice flour for baking because I think it's kind of gritty so I mean it really depends if I want something more flaky or I want something more bread like Mm -hmm. Um, 
so yeah, I don't know if I have like one flower. I really think it depends. If I'm trying to do more of like like a rue, I'll use more arrowroot because mm-hmm. it, it really does it like begins. add a lot of like viscosity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it really depends on what I'm doing. I think that's really interesting. Um, okay, cool. The last thing I want to ask you, um, what are some of your uh, things that you can't live without when it comes to wellness? Sort of like what changes have you made in your life that have like dramatically improved your life? So And don't say eating gluten-free. No, I Because clearly wouldn't. we know. Yeah, I eat gluten-free, <laughs> right. And, and what I will say is that that, for me, with, with celiac, that's actually not enough for me mm. feeling good. Um, so part of what happened because I lived with celiac so long is I developed pretty significant arthritis and a lot of, um, joint and what they call it bone pain, which is sort of like ambiguous, but a lot of joint and bone pain that is just like a lifelong condition that I will probably always have. And for me, like it's equally as important that I exercise as it is that I eat gluten free. Mm. And there's really, I mean, they're they are a pair. Like mm. they go together. If I don't exercise five days a week, I will have chronic pain. Wow. It's yeah, it's intense. So um, definitely exercising and just like I mean, what type of exercise so, do you do? Because you think that exercise is high impact, it's going to cause more pain. Yeah, no, some like sometimes. When I don't work out, I feel like so stiff and I have to like like kind of ease into it. Like I'll be mm-hmm. like slowly like just moving my body. Um, my my exercise regime has definitely changed. I mean, I would say a couple of years ago I was really into running and then I kind of stopped running as much and now I'm more of like into like traditional weight training. But I'm always doing something. Um and yeah, I mean, I, I kind of just like to live an active lifestyle. So I, you know, if I'm not like at the gym per se and I'm on vacation, I'll go for a bike ride or I'll swim or I'll go hiking or I'll, whatever. I mean, I'm always doing something to mm-hmm. just move my body. Yeah. And if I go more than a few days without doing that, it's it's equally as troubling to me as if I went and just like gorged on a regular pizza. Mm. Okay. Exercise. Exercise, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I feel like all the other, like, cliche that people, things that people say, like, I meditate, and I drink a lot of water, and I try and live a balanced lifestyle. And yeah, I, but those things I genuinely mean, help. They do. They, they for sure, really they do. do. <laughs> yeah, they do. And they also help with, like, running a business and having kids and living in New York City. I mean, you know, all of the, the, the different rituals that you need to just stay calm and feel balanced are what I do. Um but no matter, you know, what's going on in my life, I would never uh, not exercise. Like, that is, like, my – That's that is, the thing. That is my thing. Okay. That's a great takeaway. Um, so where can our listeners find you and where can they find Feel Good Foods? Online, in store, where, whatever, wherever. Yeah. So we're, so we're in grocery stores. We're in Whole Foods nationwide. We're in Target. Um, we're in, you know, healthy, like, you know, boutique-y kind of health food stores. Um, and then tons of different, like, regional, depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Do you have a store locator on your website? We do, okay. yeah. If you go to our website, it's, like, really easy to remember. It's just feelgf.com. Okay. And if you go to our website, you can search um, with your zip code, and it'll actually tell you, like, which flavor of which, you know, product that you want is sold where. So it makes it really easy. Like, if you really want the chicken pot stickers and you're on a search for chicken pot stickers, you can find a store that sells that. Awesome. Cool. And you can order on our website too, um, which if it's sold down the street from you, I don't know why you would, but if it's not located near you, you can always just get it off the website. Okay. Awesome. Are you guys on Instagram? We are. um, Feel Good Foods. You can find us on Instagram. Awesome. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story. Thanks for having me.